Today's guest in Women in Property is Christy Green. Christy is a key partner of Gigi Homes, one of the largest single-family home buyers in San Diego County, which can be seen, for example, on HGTV's House Hunters. We'll delve into the house flipping process, clever housing hacks, and explore innovative materials to incorporate non-toxic living principles into your own home or flips. Join us in this episode as we uncover both Christy's personal and professional journey in navigating the dynamic world of real estate. This is Women in Property. Welcome to the podcast, Christy. Thank you. Happy to be here. So I'm so happy to have you on. And is this your first podcast that you're a guest on? It is not. However, it's my first real estate podcast. You did some mm-hmm. about, yeah, I did some about my birth experience, actually, like completely unrelated to real estate. Oh, wow. That's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so before we're taking a deep dive into your career and the house flipping industry, as well as your house hacking tips. I want to know a little bit more about your background. Sure. So my parents are mortgage lenders or they were mortgage lenders. So I kind of grew up surrounded by real estate, but I didn't ever know I would get into real estate. I went to school at LMU up in LA and I got into the nonprofit world. So I worked for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society doing like event planning essentially for triathlons, marathons, like ultra marathons and loved it. Loved my colleagues, loved my coworkers um, and eventually realized that I could not live off of the salary that um, I was making a nonprofit and made a transition. Um, Real estate seemed like a logical next step, just given our family's background. And I'd always had an interest in it, but I just didn't have any experience in it. So I actually got licensed, borrowed 20 grand from my parents to start my real estate biz and hit the ground running. Getting into nonprofit and then real estate, you really have to learn by doing. That's what I figured out. Like, College is wonderful and I, I wouldn't change a thing, but you got to get your your feet wet by doing it in both of those industries, probably almost every industry, honestly. So was it hard kind of knowing if you wanted to go into more the lender side of real estate or? I never was interested in the lending side, actually, much to my dad's dismay. I wanted to be more out in the field, meeting people, seeing homes, touching countertops, being out there, being more um, on the go. So I did not have an interest in lending, but I love working with him and other great lenders. What did that look like? You had just borrowed 20 grand from your parents, got your license. What was the next step? It was so tough. So I signed on with the first brokerage that would take me and I I felt like extremely honored. I didn't know that every brokerage takes everyone. (laughs) I thought that they were like interviewing me and they were like, okay, we're going to take 50% of your commissions forever. I was like, great, sign me up. That sounds wonderful. (laughs) I won't name it, but I mean, it's one of the big ones. And so I got started and I held a ton of open houses. Again, my budget was extremely limited. Like I basically had 20 grand to sink or swim. And if I sunk, I was getting out of real estate. I wasn't going to be asking for more. Um, So I held like 
three to four open houses every week. But really what I did was I dug into marketing. So I built a really awesome website and I made a ton of video content and blog content kind of at a time before a lot of people were doing video content and blog stuff and social media stuff. It was, I mean, now if you were to see it, it was pretty bootleg, but it was sort of revolutionary at the time. There really weren't a lot of people doing it. Um, I eventually started doing pay-per-click, getting pay-per-click leads, started closing those and eventually had enough of them and enough closings to keep funding more that I grew a team. That was about two years into real estate. Um, I grew a team. So the first year was really bootstraps, like mostly open houses. Second year, I was finally doing well off these pay-per-click leads and my website. Third year, I grew a team. How big was the team? It was small. There were four of us, but it was successful. We were closing deals. We had meetings every week. We were in close touch with each other. And it was really nice. Everyone was having fun and making money. A lot of people get out of the first year, but if you can make through that year, then you can, you know stand for a long time basically yeah i mean you have to you have to go all in on this business it's it's tough and i understand i think a lot of people that potentially don't make it are the ones that stay part-time and i understand why they do they have bills to pay and it takes time for for deals to close and you to get commission checks but i've seen so many agents who jump into the biz and they're maybe a teacher or a server they're just trying to sell real estate on the side and it never really takes off so i went all all in i was broke, broke, broke. <laughs> um, and I just knew I had to figure it out. And I and I did somehow figure it out. But it was not easy. Do you know where that grit kind of comes from? I didn't feel like I had much option. I didn't have a backup plan. I could have figured out a backup plan, but I didn't have one. So and also taking, you know, borrowing money from your parents, like I definitely felt a sense of responsibility there that that wasn't all for naught. And I wanted to make them proud. I wanted to prove myself. Yeah. And I think I did all of those things. But yeah, I think I just didn't have a backup plan. So it was it was very much sink or swim. And I'm very grateful that I swam. For how long were you a real estate agent before um, getting in the space that you are in now? I still have my real estate license. So I've been licensed 10 years. So I guess the next part of the story is that after um, about a year or so of having my small little real estate team, I merged with, um, who's actually now my brother-in-law, Phil Green. Um, he had a small real estate team. There were like seven or nine people and mine was four. And we squished them together and became a team of like 11 that was in 2017. So that was, I guess, three or three years in, three or four years into real estate. So 2017. And um, yeah, so much has changed since then. The evolution of where I've sat in the real estate space has changed a ton. And um, it's been really fun to grow and evolve as this industry grows and evolves. And I've learned so much new stuff beyond just working with buyers and sellers. And how was that working with family? Well, it wasn't family at the time. Okay. <laughs> so I married his brother. <laughs> um, yeah. So we, whatever, we worked together <laughs> and fell madly in love. And now we're married and have three kids. So um, yeah, so I, he was not my brother-in-law at the time. He actually saw my marketing and saw my videos and said, you know what? We're really good at sales. You're really good at marketing. Yeah. There's something here. There's a synergy here we should explore further. Um, so we talked and realized it made a lot of sense to squish together. And 
I'm very glad we did. Yeah. And so that then became Gigi Homes. Sort of. That became the honest agent team, the real estate team. Gigi Homes is a flipping firm. So two different businesses. But yeah, he had just started Gigi Homes. They were like maybe maybe a year in, I think. Not very far. Um, so I helped them with the marketing there. And yeah, it all sort of evolved from there. We were in a teeny tiny office. So like anytime it would rain, water would come through the roof. And oh, people had to sit with their laptops on the floors because there wasn't enough room for everybody. They actually condemned it or, or uh, demoed it. It doesn't exist anymore. I think it's apartments now. Um, but we were bootstrapping it together. We were figuring it out and cutting our teeth. Um, yeah, we've, we've learned a lot in the last seven years. Right. So can you tell us a little bit about what you guys do at Gigi Homes? Yeah. So Gigi Homes itself is a flipping firm and a real estate investing firm. So buying ugly houses, closing for cash, renovating them and reselling. That's the core business. However, we've we've branched out into a bunch of peripheral businesses. So like wholesaling, um, we have a bunch of Airbnbs that we hold. We have property management. We have the honest agent team, which is the one that I founded. Um, we have a pay-per-click um, company now to run others' pay-per-click campaigns. Um, we started doing development deals. So we we buy land or like a small house on a large lot, tear it down and build many units. So it's really transformed from, you know, hello, Mr. Buyer, what would you like to buy? Okay, I will be your realtor to really large scale creative projects um, all throughout Southern California. So we're now in all the way through LA County, um, Riverside and San Diego. Now that you have um, kind of been doing it for a long time, what does a typical day at work look like for you? Yeah, so now I sit in like the VP of Ops role at GG Homes. So it's a lot of leadership. So I sit in some meetings, I manage a team. So I have one-on-ones with them. I often have a call with our lawyers once or twice a week, um, but my primary, primary role, the core of it is keeping our deals together. So we've got about 160 deals in our pipeline right now that we're in escrow to purchase. And as you can imagine, a good chunk of them go south for various reasons. Seller doesn't want to sell anymore. There's a weird lean on title or just any number of things that can go wrong. I'm identifying those problems and um, keeping deals together so that the vast majority of them close. So that might mean collaborating with a lawyer or a project manager on site. It might mean getting on the phone myself and talking a lawyer or a seller back into selling. Um, Basically, however I can get creative to keep these deals together is my core, core role right now. And can you kind of explain how the process goes from start to finish? I can explain it for the core business. So if seller wants to sell their home, they come to us. Maybe they see an ad on TV and they call in. We sales takes the appointment. They meet with them. They give them a cash offer based on the condition and everything that's going on. They can accept or not accept. If they accept, then we open escrow, close escrow, get their keys. They get their money renovate the home and then relist it on the market. So very much like the HGTV bottle of of flipping. Is it always cash? Yeah, it's always cash. Um, most of these properties won't pass conventional financing. They're mostly in 
pretty poor shape or they're full of stuff or they're, you know, the roof has a huge hole in it. They're mostly pretty intense fixers. What are specific criteria that you kind of consider before saying, okay, let's let's go for this property? There's none really, as long as the numbers make sense. Like you can't buy a property if there's no profit in it, right? If there's profit in it, we can buy it, whether it's in pristine condition, but it, usually it's in, in fixer condition. So usually it's something like mold or fire damage or like a hoarding situation or like a tenant that won't get out. Uh, there's usually something that's going on that makes the seller not just call your local Keller Williams agent, because that's what 90% of people do. They just list with a realtor. So that 10%, they usually have a specialty need. And that's where our creativity and troubleshooting and problem solving skills come in because we're obviously going to make a profit. However, we need to get really creative and solve the seller's problem in a way that nobody else can. So that's really our value add. Maybe we get their tenant out for them. Maybe we give them $10,000 before escrow closes so they can move to somewhere else, which you can't get any money up front when you list with a realtor. There's so many different ways we can creatively add value to these sellers to get them out of whatever bind that they're in. What are some other challenges that you guys have encountered? Yeah, so everybody thought COVID would be D-Day in the real estate industry. And it strangely in San Diego ended up being like the hottest market ever. It was really weird and really surprising. Um, the interest rates were extremely good. They were like, high twos, low threes. So um, as long as you kept your job in COVID, which, you know, most people who can afford to buy in San Diego kept their job, the rates were great. And so the affordability was good. So it was, it became an absolute frenzy. It was actually crazy the how hot the market got in COVID. So while we had a lot of fear at the early stages of what this is going to look like, what this means for the business, it actually became... Um, a super lucrative and super strange time in the real estate industry in San Diego. Yeah. And what was your kind of most memorable deal that you had during that time? I would always say my most memorable deal or most significant deal is my own house. Um, uh, we bought it. It wasn't, it wasn't COVID actually. It was in 2020, early COVID. It was a house from a wholesaler. We bought it for seven fifty. Um, we renovated the main house. We added an Airbnb to it, so we have like a two car garage and a three car garage. We turned the three car garage into an Airbnb, and then about a year later, we added an ADU to the backyard. So now it's like three properties on one. Essentially, our mortgage. It's a, we only have like. 18 years left on our mortgage. I think it's $6,000. The Airbnb brings in like six to $8,000 a month mm -hmm. and the ADU brings in $6,000 a month. So we're essentially now being paid six to $8,000 a month to live in our really nice house. Uh, that to me will always be the deal closest to my heart um, that we were able to That's amazing. get a great rate, get this deal. It's a beautiful backyard. Um, yeah, that to me is like just a really, really special deal. Is it easy to kind of get those deals or do you kind of just have to have luck? What's your take on it? Somewhere in between. You don't have to have luck, but you have to have some skill and some knowledge to know what you're looking for. So you need a good size lot, ideally a flat lot, so you don't have to completely grade it. Um, 
ideally a lot with no power lines above head. If you're going to be adding a two-story ADU, you don't want to be moving power lines. Um, and ideally one that is sort of like has enough space to carve out something like an Airbnb. So maybe it's like a granny flat or maybe it's a three-car garage that you don't need. Something like that. Just something interesting about it and you can get creative. Once you know what you're looking for, these deals exist and you can pay a lot more than market value for them because they make so much sense. So you kind of need to know just what you're looking for and then know how to go after a deal like that, how to find it off market ideally so you get the best deal. Is there like a common problem that can happen when you do these type of, you know, kind of deals? But if you were to sell it, a common problem is that appraisers don't really know what this stuff is worth. They don't take your income from the Airbnb as they should, nor from the ADU as they should. So that would be a potential problem is if you're going to sell it, it's actual value is a lot more than what it would appraise for. But if you're looking to live there, it's a slam dunk. What kind of tips would you give to someone that is looking to do that kind of, you know, housing hack on their own? I mean, I would say, I would say do it. The tip I would give is, yeah, don't wait and do it. I guess you have to be okay with living on a property where other people are living. It doesn't bother us at all. Um, but some people want like the huge, you know, estate with all privacy. Like it's not that. Um, you are you are sharing, you know, your lot with other people. Finding the good deal, finding a good contractor. And then either being a really good Airbnb manager and property manager or finding a really good one. You don't want to, you want to do that right. So those would be my, those would be my tips. Finding the deal is the hardest part. Is there any sustainable practices you can do in order to enhance the value of a property? So what buyers are looking for and how you can like add value. Um, we have two designers on staff who make our properties really awesome. So Right now, buyers are wanting open floor plan. We're seeing a lot of like organic wood. Um, it's not all about like the white and the gray, you know, like the white and the gray cabinets from like the, you know, 2008. It's more the, mm -hmm. the tans, the creams, the wood tones, the textured layered materials. That's what's doing well now. For flooring, I really like, I, I'm not a fan of vinyl. I'm not a fan of carpet. I like um, hardwood and I like the tile that looks like wood. Really pretty tile in the bathrooms does well. Open floor plan and keeping with the style of the house. So like don't make a really modern house farmhouse style and don't make like a farmhouse very modern. Like keeping in, in line with what the property wants to be is really helpful too. Um, staging yeah. really, really helps. We stage all of our flips to make sure that buyers can envision themselves living there. That's very, very helpful versus just having like vast open spaces where there's no furniture. It's hard to envision yourself living there. Do you ever stage like through just renderings or do you actually stage it? No, we actually stage them. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Because the renderings are great to get people to the house. But then once they're there, then you still have the same problem of the wide open spaces. So we always think staging has a great ROI and I would highly recommend it. You are also an advocate for non-toxic living. Can you give us some examples on how you can enhance a healthier living environment? To me, it's so important because you're you're designing a home and building a home that you're going to spend, you know, a tremendous amount of your waking hours in. And so the materials you're surrounded by, the air you breathe, the stuff around you, it really matters. So 
vinyl flooring, for example, is basically plastic, um, not safe, not healthy. Most carpet is pretty toxic, not safe, not healthy. Um, there are like wool, wool carpets that like Eco Weave, for example, makes a really good one. Paint, Eco's paint is fantastic for, for wall paint. Cabinetry, hardwood is ideal um, because all these new cabin cabinets are made of like basically plywood and glue put together and they look okay. Um, they have tons of formaldehyde in them. They're just not safe to be breathing in. Even insulation can be toxic and there's better options like wool. So uh, those are just a few examples of relatively painless swaps you can make to make your home and the air quality in your home so much better and so much safer. And some of them cost more, but some of them don't. Like, for example, um, the wood look tile, it's like five bucks a square foot. It's not even super expensive and it'll hold up for years and years and years. And it's resistant to stains and mold and and water. So it's a really good option. The paint is more expensive, mm -hmm. but it's relatively nominal. Um you know, paint isn't like a tremendous expense when you're building a home and to have low or no VOC paint is really, really important so that you don't move your family in and feel sick. So that's my tangent. Um, just if you're building or renovating, there are swaps that are nominally more expensive that will make your home a much healthier and safe place to live. And also a better value, I can imagine. Yeah, better value. A lot of these materials perform a lot better. Um, yeah. That they're cheapo counterparts. So highly recommend. Is that something that you're thinking of implementing more in at GG Homes? Yeah, I would love to. Um, it becomes a cost benefit analysis. Not everybody sees the value in this stuff yet, although I certainly do. But yes, it is something that we've been talking a lot about implementing at GG, at least some some parts of it like changing out the paint nobody wants to walk into a new house that smells like disgusting paint you know how long does a flipping process take from start to finish it depends so let's say escrow closes today so Gigi now owns the home um, our flips are really quick we've gotten them down so much they're now about 30 days to get them onto the market renovated and onto the market let's say they sit on the market an average of like two weeks arbitrarily and then let's say the buyer's escrow is 30 days so you've got about 30 day run out about two weeks of on the market so open houses showings and then about 30 days of um, the buyer's escrow so that's about the process. But of course, the longer time frame is a buildup to that, like through the sales process. Maybe they call in in January, but they're not actually ready to sell until October. That's a long-term sales follow-up. That is, that is often the longest part of the process. Very few people call in today and they say, you know, give me an offer today and I'll sign and, and we'll move forward. It's usually a follow-up. What is the first thing you do after buying a property and the flipping process begins? So you get the keys and then um, and then the first step is demo, the first tangible step. So before that, you can be doing any permitting you need, any design work you need. Um, ideally, we love to walk the property before we even own it. So our designers can be building their scope of work and their plan while we don't own it. So we're not having any holding costs, overhead costs, like the seller still owns it. And we can sort of get an early jump on it. When we close on the house, we like to demo it right away for a lot of reasons, because we want 
construction to be fast, but also because we don't want a squatter to break into the home, the seller to come back to the home. We want to move forward with our project. So usually demo is one to two days after escrow closes, and then um, and then it moves really fast from there. And what is the last thing you do before staging? The last thing before staging is all of the stuff that makes it pretty. So like the lighting, um, the hardware on the cabinetry, all those, all the pretty last touches. Yeah. And then a deep clean, of course, because the construction kicks up so much dust. Do you have any tips for getting the most bang for your buck before selling a flip? It depends on the home. So generally speaking, the best bang for your buck is going to be flooring and paint. Um, those are two relatively inexpensive upgrades. You know, paint might be a, depending, maybe $5,000 and flooring depends what you choose. But those are going to make the home show more like it's new, like it's well-maintained. So those would be my top choices if you're just speaking very generally. Of course, if there's like mold or a leak happening, fixing that issue, if it's a big issue, will be your number one priority. Kitchen and bathrooms can also have a great ROI, but those are bigger projects. And the thing we see too is that people often want to choose their own kitchen and bathrooms. So unless you know you've got sharp design taste and you're going to use good quality materials it's often not worth it if you're going to go buy builder grade stuff at home depot like white cabinetry and it's going to be a 35k project depending on you know how the kitchen looks already you might just want to leave it you might not get more than a 35k return on that so it just depends paint and flooring is a super safe bet yeah what about outside space Outside, you just want it cleaned up. So to do any major landscaping is really expensive. You want your grass clean, any bushes clean, um, exterior paint is great. Um, power washing is great and really inexpensive. Um, so you can actually keep it really cheap outside and just, just get it cleaned up. Nothing major is needed if you're just trying to just maximize your profit and minimize your spend. Going back to the calculation part of a flip, what does that process look like? Do you have a specific formula or? It's all a formula. It's all a formula. So you're really, your key number is called ARV. So after repair value, once you have that number, that's the number that, that the home will sell for once beautiful, once fixed up and, and looking good. Once you have that number, you can reverse engineer what you can offer based on your market and your renovation costs. So you're looking for an X number of return. Maybe you feel really good about the market and the upside, so you're willing to accept a smaller return, like a 7-8% return. Maybe you're nervous about the market and you think there's downside to that buy. You might be looking for a 12 to 15% return. So you just reverse engineer it from there, depending on the market and the all of the things, the construction cost, your holding costs, that, that's a factor too. Do you have a good hard money lender or do you have actual cash? How are you buying it? Um, so it's all a formula. It's not um, It's not really subjective. We have analysts here at GG Homes that all day long, they're, they're cranking numbers through that formula and seeing what we can offer on various homes given the condition um, and the return that they're looking to get. Are there um, kind of any specific trends or any sort of innovations that you see are kind of being crucial for the flipping industry? I would say trends are, well, I would say design, although it's an ever-changing trend, staying on top of design is critical if you're going to be a flipper. People just aren't accepting of like gray vinyl and 
white cabinetry and zero character and gray paint on the walls. It's just not going to fly anymore. So getting nuanced about design, I would say, is your is your best friend, whether that means hiring a designer or reading design blogs and following some designers on Instagram that you love and doing cheapo versions of like their style is great. But just pouring that extra time and effort into design, I think will always be helpful and profitable. Yeah. And then for yourself, do you have any future plans or goals? Ooh, that's a good one. Future plans and goals. Um, while we are looking to buy a new home in the near future. Um, That's exciting. Yeah. So I've been thinking a lot about design, a lot about materials and what I want my family to live around. Um, yeah. I'm hoping it would be a forever home. So hopefully forever. That is mainly where my head's at right now. And, and also buying real estate as often as possible. We can't buy something every single year to hold, but every two to three years we can. So, so that's another goal is to just keep slowly accumulating real estate because every time we buy real estate, we wish we had bought sooner. So I wish I had bought when I was 20. So before we wrap up, I want to know which qualities you think are necessary to have in order to be successful and what are some challenges one can expect? I would say you want to have grit. You want to go all in. You want to learn whether that means taking a low paying job with somebody that you really respect within the industry. But I think grit and tenacity is the number one. This is a tough industry. This is not an easy, big money, super glamorous, only glitzy industry like, you know, like they show on the HGTV shows. It can be a tough industry, a tough industry. So I would say learn from the best you can, even if that means taking a low paying job with them. Right. Learn, learn, learn. And buy real estate early that's not really quality i guess the i guess um the desire to take risk and buy real estate early tenacity it's all grit it really it's really all grit uh, real estate is not a safe bet like in terms of my doctor friend who makes 500k a year whatever and she gets paid every two weeks real estate is not that it's high risk high reward it's exciting it's scary it's terrifying it's ever-changing it's uh, there's always going to be someone new, someone better than you, someone smarter than you. It's so, so staying gritty through all of that and riding the waves of real estate can just have epic, epic returns in the long run. Yeah. And I have to ask also, have you ever felt mistreated being a woman in a male dominated industry? It is a manhood mystery. I mean, to be honest, the leadership at Gigi Homes, right now I'm the only woman. There's, yeah maybe eight leaders at GG Homes. Do I feel belittled about that? No, I really respect all of my peers tremendously, but do I notice I'm the only woman in leadership? Yeah, I do. I've been to a lot of masterminds within the real estate industry and everything's fine during the day. And then, you know, things change at night. You see mm. people cheating on their spouses. You see, you know, just people getting like crazy wild, crazy drunk. Um, there is that dark side to this industry. There may be to every industry, but I, I did feel it specifically in real estate and especially when I was younger and when I was unsure of myself and trying to step into this space and I didn't have the self-assuredness, I guess, that, that I do now. It's, an, it's intimidating. Um, 
so yeah, I, I do feel it. I hope that it's changing. Um, I'm proud to be a woman in leadership in this industry. And um, I would love to see more women rise through the ranks in, in real estate in a big way as well. So if you have any tips for me on how to make that happen or how to get the word out about real estate, I am wide open. And then uh, lastly, if somebody wants to come in contact with you, what is the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, um, they can email me. I'll give my personal email. It's Christie, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E, at ggholmessd.com. And I'm super open to any questions about anything we talked about today. I'm open to giving tips on Again, anything we talked about today, if they have any interest at working at GG Homes, I'm open if, if you're local in Southern California. So hit me up. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Christy. This has truly been a pleasure. And I know not only did I get to learn so much from you, but I think that our listeners will as well. Awesome. Thanks for having me. 